The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. When I was a little girl, the Easter Bunny came every year, and not just to drop off a basket of candy eggs. He showed up in the flesh for a couple of hours until my dad said he had to go back to bunny land. Well, that was the story. Here's the truth. My dad was a physician, and those were the days of the rabbit test for pregnancy. For every human baby conceived, a rabbit died, including all of those so-called Easter bunnies with whom I was enchanted once a year until I was 10 years old. Thank goodness technology has taken us beyond the rabbit test, but not beyond the widespread belief that animals are ours to use as we wish. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Program. I am your host, Victoria Moran. After the break, we'll speak with Olympic silver medal cyclist and animal advocate, Dotsie Bausch, about the athlete's anti-dairy campaign and so many other exciting things. And right now, we'll address what's happening right now. This Easter, 2018 with bunnies and chicks and ducklings that many parents believe are toys. My guest is rabbit rescuer Alicia Corpiel of the hashtag Not Just for Easter campaign, a global movement begun by Space Coast Animal Rights in 2015 and kickstarted last year with a grant from Lush Cosmetics. Welcome, Alicia. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks so much for your campaign and for finding an evil and setting out to eradicate it. I love it when people just 
say, oh my goodness, this shouldn't be happening. I'm going to fix it. That takes so much courage and, and so much faith. And I'm just thrilled to be talking to you. So tell us precisely what does the Not Just for Easter campaign intend to accomplish? Um, and not just for Easter campaign intends to accomplish the end of giving live animals to kids at Easter. Um, these animals are extremely fragile and it's just really awful because 95% of them will die by age one when their lifespans will go from eight to 12 years usually. So we just really want to stop the breeding and selling of these animals. So is this actually an industry like we know about puppy mills and that sort of thing? Yeah, it definitely is. A lot of um, it's just kind of a sneaky industry, though, because a lot of people um, a lot of people either do it or they have no idea it's going on. So the a lot of stores, they like to pretend like. Oh, well, we only, we sell up to four chicks rather than uh, just one chick to try to deter Easter giving, but that's not true. That's actually, um, a law from, for the country. And, um, they end up putting four lives at risk rather than just one with that kind of thinking. So it's, it's kind of, um, a crazy situation where, um, and, you know, it goes beyond, like, the puppy mills and stuff because there's so many backyard breeders and there's just so many ways to get these animals that it's it's a really hard thing to, um, to rectify. So do you think that part of the problem is that people just don't think that these animals are going to grow up? I, I remember as a teenager feeling so sorry for what I thought was a little chick at the farmer's market that I purchased this little chick. Well, it turned out that this was a little gosling and I, I was very fortunate to find a really good home for this goose. But, you know, I just didn't know. Are people that disconnected from animals and nature? Yeah, they really are. Unfortunately, a lot of people, especially with rabbits, they think rabbits still belong in cages and you know, which has never been the fact, but for some reason, that's what's always been taught is that rabbits belong in cages and you need to be eating carrots. Um, and then you're, that's pretty much all they take. So that's what happens when these people buy rabbits for their kids for Easter. So they put them in this little cage. The rabbit gets overweight, depressed, and is not as much fun as, you know, when they're a baby bunny all excited. So, like, the kids lose interest and the parents either um, neglect the rabbit, either not knowingly or unknowingly, because so many people don't even take the time to research online. They just listen to the pet stores, and what the pet stores are trying to do is just trying to sell. So, they'll really see anything to try to get you out the door with one of these animals. Hmm. Just tell us a little bit, since you are a rabbit rescuer, and I definitely want to get to the campaign, but just tell us a little bit about rabbits. Most of us have never been around them very much. Well, they're definitely my favorite pet that I've ever had. They're, they're really fun, and when um, they're roaming the house, they like to run and jump in the air, and it's called a binky when they, they, they like, hop and twitch in the air, and it's really funny. Um, and they're just, they're so cute and loyal and 
it kind of like their personalities are kind of like a mixture between a cat and a dog where they could be like hands off, but then they also want attention, which is really, it's really neat. And, um, but they are very, very, very high maintenance animals. Like, um, they need a special diet. If you go off of their diet at all, they could get, um, go into stasis and die within 24 hours. So that's like a major issue. So a lot of people think that, um, carrots are food for rabbits when they're actually a tree. And if they eat too many carrots, they go into stasis. So it's something that's like a really huge issue. Um, on top of that, you have to bunny proof your entire house because bunnies do belong inside. They do not do well outside whatsoever. And when you bunny proof your house, you're basically trying to protect everything that a bunny can choose. So cords, furniture, everything. So I have like little grids protecting all my furniture throughout the whole house, but you know, it's worth it to me because they're just so great. They're just so loving and awesome. And, um, another thing is they could be litter truck box trained, but they poop 300 times a day. So that's going to keep you busy. <laughs> well, yeah. And this is just, it is such a great explanation for anyone who might know someone who is thinking of, of doing this, this old fashioned and, and almost barbaric the practice of just bringing in a, a little animal at Easter time as, as if it's it's just a, a stuffed animal. So tell us about its hashtag, not just numeral for Easter and mm-hmm. uh, not just for Easter dot org. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. OK, so tell us all about it and what we can do to help. Okay, so not just for Easter, basically, we're just trying to get awareness to communities all over the world about the um, about the campaign and the purpose. So we have several things people could do. We have a community outreach tab, um, which tells you how to set up a community outreach event in your area, such as a protest leafletting session. Um also, uh, educational sessions, tabling, stuff like that. So basically grassroots activism is where that goes. And right now we have over 30 events set up across the United States and Canada. So, um, and then we have, uh, on top of that, a social media aspect of the campaign where originally we, we get people to put on bunny ears and hold a sign that explains like a little bit about why animals are not just for Easter and then use the not just for Easter hashtag online as public. Um, we also have a petition going on right now where we're asking tractor supply to not sell chicks during Easter at minimum. So um, we actually already got a response from tractor supply on that saying that just a bunch of stuff, how they try to deter Easter giving, but they're really falling through the cracks on all that. So we're, trying to get more people to say, hey, you need to do better. Um, and then finally, we have a rescue aspect where we have an online store and a percentage of all sales in online store go to a specific rescue. But the rescue is cho- chosen via vote. So um, a certain amount of rescues were nominated and then people are voting for it them all over and then the rescues could earn extra points by participating in the campaign well that's a lot going on that's really exciting yeah and, and how so- did 
how do kids respond when um, maybe they thought they were going to get a little chick or a little duckling and then they found out they aren't? How do you explain that to them? How do you tell them without making it too gruesome um, what our relationship with animals is really supposed to be? Well, we actually have coloring books that kind of explain it a little bit further, but mostly we want um, people to teach your kids about commitment. There's You don't really need to get too gruesome. There's actually a book called The Forgotten Rabbit that's a really awesome children's book that explains why these animals are commitment and is actually based on a true story. So that's really neat. Um, but basically, kids need to learn that animals are commitment and they take a whole lot of work. And if they really, really want an animal, they need to be ready for it and they need to you know, they need to be at a place where they're ready for it. So just to teach your kids um, the definition of responsibility and commitment is what's really important. Yeah, I think so. And I think once kids know, kids really do love animals. We just kind of, of have this mixed up view of how, how we're supposed to teach small humans to relate to other beings. So, um What's the plan? What, what's your um, what's what's your prognosis for the future? How long is it going to take before this is truly like the rabbit test, a thing of the past? We have a lot of people on our side for this campaign, um, and it's growing every year. This is only the third year, and we're already global. So I think you know if we keep on tracking. I'm hoping within the next decade this will be done. I mean, we still, like, when we do leafletting and stuff, we do have people say, do people really do that? I can't believe people really do that. So we're already on the right track because it's been something that's been promoted by rabbit rescues around the world for years. Um, it's not a new issue. It's been going on for a very long time. So it's just being able to reach everyone in the billions of people on this planet. So, um, but I, th- I think we're getting somewhere. So we reached um, just last month, month we reached a hundred thousand more people Whoa. than usual. Yeah. So, and that's just on Facebook. That's not even counting Instagram, Twitter and like in person. Whoa. So, yeah. Oh, a- animals are grateful for the internet. <laughs> I mean, it's done well for a lot of Silicon Valley uh, billionaires, but it's really doing great things for animals, too, and that's wonderful. So it's not just for Easter, number four, on Facebook, not just for Easter, underscore, on Twitter, not just for Easter, on Instagram. We will put all of those on the show notes. Alicia, thank you so much for for speaking up and and acting out for for those who really need it. It's uh, great work. That you're doing. Thanks. I'm really happy to do it, especially when I look at my bunnies every day. I just feel like I need to do it for them, you know? Uh, well, bless your heart and your bunnies and your husband, who's also a rabbit rescuer. Yeah. Um, he is actually the one who came up with the Not Just for Easter hashtag. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. When two of you do it together, it just seems to have exponentially uh, more reach. It's a wonderful thing. So thanks for being on the program. And everybody else, stay with us through the break. We are going to be speaking with Olympian Dotsie Bausch, who is also a powerful voice for animals. 
Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. And the show goes on. During the break, our wonderful engineer Jeff did something special on the technical end, and he said that he was just buttering me up, which reminded me of being in a restaurant a couple of days ago, and a woman at the next table asked for extra butter. And I was so surprised. (laughs) I remember thinking, wait a minute. We haven't eaten that in years. And then remembering, you know, some people still do. But you know what? Not many are going to be doing it for long if my next guest has her way about it. And she certainly should get her way because she has done and continues to do amazing things on this planet. And she is Dotsie Bausch. She was a fashion model in her youth that led to serious eating disorders. And through her recovery process, she discovered cycling. Well, gosh, that happens for lots of people. But guess what happened for her? She went on to become a seven-time U.S. national champion. And her 2012 Olympic silver medal win, just shy of her 40th birthday, is chronicled in the documentary Personal Gold. Dottie is now a color commentator on NBC Sports, a motivational speaker, and a passionate animal advocate. She gave an exquisite TEDx talk. Oh my gosh, you have to listen to this. It's called Olympic Level Compassion. You can find that on her site, .cbauschusa. We'll, of course, put all those things on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. .c is featured in the new film, Game The Game Changers. And she is one of the moving forces behind the Switch for Good campaign that led to a powerful anti-dairy PSA shown in major U.S. markets at the close of last month's Winter Olympics. What a pleasure to welcome. Welcome, Dotsie Bausch. 
Well, that's the loveliest introduction ever. When I'm feeling bad about myself, I'm just going to try to replay that. Thank you so much. Isn't it wonderful? Introductions and bios, they pick out all the best stuff. But you've got a lot of best stuff. So let's start with a little history. What got you from where you started to vegan and Olympian? Oh, my. Well, as you mentioned, um, as I was as healing from uh, an eating disorder, which was um, anorexia and then uh, catapulted into bulimia in its in its last stages, which is uh, quite common, um, I was uh, in, in therapy when I finally made the decision and the choice that I, I, I wanted to, to live and I wanted to heal. Um, working, I was working with a therapist um, in Los Angeles where I live. And uh, towards the end of that healing journey, uh, which, which it, that was my little blind chihuahua. Sorry about that. Um, it was uh, something that she said to me. She said, you know, I, I know that, that uh, you won't consider yourself fully and completely healed and being able to integrate back into your life and into society and into the world unless you're able to move your body in a, in a healthy way again, which I hadn't been able to do for many years prior to that. Um, I definitely had um, the over-exercise addiction component of anorexia uh, charging hard um, throughout my disease. And so she said, you know, I want... I want you to be able to do that, but I, I think we best start with um, an activity or a sport that you've never done before because then we won't have any, you know, sort of negative connections to it from your history. Uh, and that's when I just very quite randomly chose cycling because, um, you know, I hadn't really ever spent time riding a bike. Uh, and that was, um, that was a good decision uh, because I think if I'd chosen gymnastics or I don't know, skeet shooting or something like that would definitely uh, uh, would not have been able to make it um, to the Olympic level because I was, um, as you mentioned, uh, a bit on the older side by the time I made it to the Olympic Games in 2012. So um, that that was my journey uh, to the Olympics that took uh, 13 years after that initial decision to um, try cycling. What an amazing story, because as I told you in some of our emailing back and forth, I also came from an eating disordered background. Mine was binge eating, and I'm so grateful for my recovery that dates back to 1983. And at that time, Mm -hmm. I started dancing. I took up ballet again, but there's no way that I was going to go to the New York City Ballet. And the fact that you have a silver medal in the Olympics is absolutely stunning. But you also have this other thing going on, which is really intriguing, and that is Olympic-level compassion. Tell us about yeah. that. Well, to, to, to your point about, you know, ballet or whatever you pick, I think sometimes in life, um, you know, we think we are picking something, but in, in actuality, it's picking us. Amen. And that whole journey, <laughs> right, is really, I, I'm recognizing that, that that happened so that I can um, tell this veganism story, tell this plant-based story, tell the story of our of our health, our planet, and of animal suffering. I would have never have had that um, opportunity or that platform. So I think it picked me, but, um, yeah, Olympic level compassion was, 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 was born out of, um, when I was looking kind of at the elements that 
uh, eventually uh, landed me on the uh, Olympic podium um, uh, in terms of um, just every aspect to w- what it took from from the grittiness to the self-belief um, to getting torn down and standing back up over and over again. Um, and just that 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 high level of uh, elitism in elite sport, um, what you deal with, what you go through and what you push through. I wanted to transfer that over to a conversation about that's how um, fervently and how um, optimistically we should talk about compassion because our world needs that more than ever right now, uh, especially in the political climate that we're in. And it is, uh, it did start for me with the plight of the animals, but um, as it has unfolded, it really transcends to everything, every body, every living being. It's not just the animals. Uh, it, 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 it makes me um, behave in a, in a different way, uh, in a kinder way, in a more empathetic way, in a softer way, um, it, just in my daily interactions with, with other human beings. Oh, that's lovely. I think there is such a connection between making this decision and then even the quality of the foods that we eat. I was Mm -hmm. talking to somebody this morning about way back in the 70s, I did a fast with Dick Gregory, a fast to draw attention to world hunger. And uh, one night we had a conference call and uh, our celebrity online was Muhammad Ali and somebody called out, hey, champ, (laughs) when are you going to stop? uh, When are you going to become vegetarian? And he said, when I get out of this uh, violent game. And it, wow. it's interesting. You know, it does it does change you, I think, at a cellular level. So what really brought you um, from omnivore to vegan? Was it the health or the animals or a combination? Mm, no, it was it was it was very specifically the animals in the beginning. Um, I was uh, exposed to what goes on behind closed doors every single moment of every single day. Uh, and it was in, it was kind of odd. It was, I was, uh, it was at a race, actually a road stage race in Minnesota. And I was up in the middle of the night, um, not able to sleep. And I just had the TV on kind of low. And, and so this was, it was, um, it was a kind of a, a murky shady video that was not it was not online which is really where we see most of the undercover investigations revealed this wasn't undercover this person had kind of an open camera but but i could tell because of the language that it was this was in another country and so i was horrified but i I thought, oh, that's obviously an isolated incident. It's not even in America. Here in the United States, you know, the government protects and serves the people or they're supposed to. So that has to include all of our food sources. And this clearly couldn't be going on here. Um, And so I came home from that race a few days later and um, dove really deep into research to, to understand what I had seen, if it was real, if it was fake, if this was across the board, if it was not. And then, you know, anybody who's done that deep dive knows that it's (laughs) <laughs> it's bigger than you ever imagined. Mm. Um, so I stopped um, immediately. I mean, I actually, I stopped immediately th- that day that I saw it the next morning because I just thought, well, I think this is an isolated incident, but just in case it's not. So I <laughs> I had stopped that day and didn't eat any meat for those three days, three days rest of the stage race and felt fine. And then when I went home, uh, realized, oh man, I got to clean out the pantry here too. Um, so... I I love that. I love the people who can just see it 
and immediately change. And people who see it, and it takes a while to change. That's good, too. (laughs) It's good, too. Everybody's so different, right, with their journeys and how they need to do it best for them. Some people need to go a bit slower so that it sticks better, as they say, and I, I, I understand and agree with that. And not everybody... You know, not everybody has that 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 deep, uh, intense connection with animals that that other people do. You know, I, I've been like I, since since I was a little girl, I was you know saving ants and roly polies and bees. And, you know, where it's like I, I I wouldn't step on them. I would you know if my goldfish died, I would not allow my parents to flush it down the toilet. We had to go out in the backyard and give it a proper burial. These are every single being uh, is worth something and how, who are we to judge whether they're, they are or not anyway. Um, so, you know, it, 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 I think it, it, it's obviously stemmed from, from, from who I was as a little tiny person. Um, not everyone feels that way and, 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 and that's okay. So the animal cruelty isn't going to necessarily move them to do an immediate change, but other, other things will, right? <laughs> like health and performance and environment. There are so many reasons for doing this these days, and I was so fascinated. The Switch for Good campaign, it just blew me away. <laughs> it's like, what, oh, that's what are they saying? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you, you opted to focus on dairy. So tell us about how all that came about. Tell us what the Switch for Good campaign is yeah. and, and yeah. dairy instead of something else. Okay, well, I'll tell you how it got started, and then I can I can tell you what it is. So, um, the the reason it's dairy focused is is because um, uh, the United States Olympic Con- Committee uh, partnered with uh, the Milk Pet Board, which is the big dairy industry as we know it, um, to be an Olympic sponsor through the Tokyo Olympics in 2020. Um, it started in 2016, went through 2018, and maybe some of you watching the Olympic Games saw the. Um, advertisements um, for milk um, that uh, claim nine out of 10 Olympians grew up drinking milk um, and that milk is um, has uh, natural proteins as if there's any other kind um, and balanced nutrition, which <laughs> we don't, you know, that's a long, long conversation of how imbalanced it is. Um, I was literally sitting on the couch about six weeks before um uh, the Winter Olympics started watching some Olympic trials. I mean, I'm an Olympic nut, so I'll sit there and watch, you know, trials at night. And, and, uh, and you know, I'm glued all the way through Olympics. And this commercial popped up. And I thought I was going to vomit. Everything inside of me just got furious. And my blood started boiling. And I thought these, this, they, they, these lies cannot continue. We have to do something. And maybe there's something I can do because I'm an Olympian. And I don't drink milk, and I actually know a lot of Olympians who don't, and I know a lot of Olympians who were never surveyed for this survey that the USOC claims, uh, you know, they, they, that they have this 9 out of 10 Olympians. And even if 9 out of 10 Olympians did grow up drinking milk, which maybe we did, uh, my grandmother grew up, grew up smoking and thought it was completely fine. And <laughs> 9 out of 10 people probably grew up, grew up drinking milk because we didn't know any better. We didn't, we didn't know anything back then about it. So um, I just just got wildly enraged and started on this mission um, and happened to um, discuss this with uh, some really great people who are as passionate about uh, telling the truth behind dairy as I am that wanted to be a part of this, that wanted to fund it. And it turned into um, 
filming this commercial um, with Thasher Brown of Pollution Studios, and he was able to bring on uh, Louis Facios, who's the Academy Award-winning director of The Cove, um, also the director of the Game Changers film, um, to direct this commercial. I scrambled and got seven Olympians that are passionate about um you know, not having uh, dairy as part of their performance diet. Um, our, our tagline for Switch for Good is dairy is not a health food. I mean, that's just that right then and there. That's exactly what we're saying. Um, and so we, we filmed a commercial that aired on the um, closing ceremonies. Um, if you go to switchforgood.org, you can watch the commercial. It's right there. It's a 30-second spot. Um, but uh, our 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 response to this has really instigated um, us to continue with this and and create a movement. So we're going to be going with Switch for Good for um, many, many years until the dairy industry is so disrupted that there is no more, which could take a short time or a long time. Um, history tells us it might take a bit longer than, than we think. Um, but it, at some point at the end, um, the, the truth has to come out. It has to be told. It has to be shared. For too long, the dairy industry has funded these multi-million dollar marketing campaigns, and it's been misleading to consumers. Um, and so our... Our switch for good, uh, the four is um, the four benefits of going dairy free. So health, performance, sustainability, and ethics. So that's oh, the meaning I love behind it. it. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. And once one is dairy free, why would anybody want to be hanging out with meat, fish, and eggs? <laughs> Right, right. I think kind of, you know, you're in my and a lot of your listeners, awareness is all of it, right? Um, but I think one of the most confusing pieces of, of the puzzle to, um, you know, eating animals or animal products is dairy. So many people, you know, you can connect, like if you have a piece of meat, a piece of meat on your plate, you're obviously aware that the animal died. Now, in what way and, and how that took place, you may or may not be okay with. But Almost everybody from that that's, that doesn't understand the dairy industry um, and how oppressive it is and how cruel it is and what takes place just goes well. They're not dying, you know. Like they're it's just they just think of a nice little cow getting milked. They don't understand that it's two hundred and sixty four million of them worldwide every year. And then they also, if you, even if you want to make the connection to death, like where's the dairy cow sanctuary that holds billions of cows? Of course not. They're the dairy cows are our hamburger meat. You know, they, they use and abuse them for about four years and then they kill them. So it's just, to me, you know, this is just a personal opinion. It's 10 times more horrifying than most of what goes on in the meat industry. Um, and the truth has to be told. It does indeed. And dairy is the most addictive. I think it's so much easier for yeah. people to give up other foods. I f- I'm addicted to vegan cheese. <laughs> I have to really be Amen. careful. There are very few foods that I have to, quote, watch anymore, low these many years post-eating disorder. But there are certain brands of that cheese, if it's in the fridge, <laughs> I'm thinking about it. And and so I think certainly with, with cow's milk products that have the casomorphins and that really are physiologically addictive as addictive, well as just right. tasty – that is a, such a cool thing to go after first. So if you could talk a little bit, Dotsie, about these four areas, what happens in each of those? I think you, you've covered the ethics beautifully, but in terms of mm-hmm. health, performance, and sustainability, why should everybody be off dairy? 
Yeah. So, well, first of all, the health perspective, um, besides the fact that it leads to brittle bones and high cholesterol, what I've come across, um, and a couple of our athletes tell these stories beautifully that we're putting out on the website. We have three athlete stories out on the website. Rebecca Sony, six-time Olympic medalist, is powerful. Um, but there's some other ones that are even more powerful in terms of what they were dealing with when they were consuming dairy and then what um, uh, health benefits they've had since they've been off. And the main issues are extreme allergies and bloat and asthma. So those are the three that I hear most of the time that people struggle with and that completely disappear um, when they get rid of all dairy. And not like six months later. I am talking within days. Um, Malachi Davis, who's a great uh, Britain track and field runner, um, 400 meters, uh, 2004 Olympic Games, he switched for good, was <laughs> got completely off dairy about six months before he competed in the Olympics Games. Just a suggestion for his performance um, by the coach because he was having trouble breathing. And he tells a story of how much he was um, better able to better breathe the very next day. So this is th- those are just some of the stories of of health that are you know we're seeing so many children that have severe asthma. I don't even almost ever remember a time when we're talking as much about that. So for per- from a performance side for the athletes, those health benefits then go into better performance. If you can't breathe then you can't oxygenate your working muscles and you can't perform. So the the performance benefits really are um, just kind of the receiver, if you will, of the health benefits. Um, And then sustainability, you know, there's there's a lot of areas um, that animal agriculture um, is evil to our environment. Uh, To me, I think the thing that just for whatever reason is is the most visceral to me um, is is the runoff from animal agriculture, which is their waste um, and the ocean acidification, the ocean ocean dead zones that are happening because of that animal agriculture runoff. Because I think most people can really connect to that and understand it the best because once we completely um, acidify and and basically uh poison our oceans we're we're done for i mean that's it if we don't have we we, i think everybody understands uh the basics of how our earthly ecosystem works and once once we've killed our oceans and all the fish inside which we're you know overfishing to death that may beat even animal agriculture right because we're just going to overfish and there aren't going to be any um that is when that's the end so sustainability is you know <laughs> is it's it's integral in, in in sustainability that um animal agriculture is in, greatly reduced or eliminated mm, that's so true on all of it and i loved what you said about the allergies and the asthma the first time in my life i went one year without a sinus infection because i'm prone to those even as a vegan oh. but the year i went vegan i went 12 months and since then, I've had a few years like that, but never, ever before in my life. I don't think I ever went three months. But mm-hmm. once that dairy was gone, it, it made a, a real difference. So um, yeah. you're on to something, but you know that. <laughs> well, I think, too, I, I, one thing for the performance side that that is um, that I think is the most shocking for people that I just want to mention is um, m- most people don't think of drinking a glass of milk 
as a hormone cocktail. I mean, that's what I like to call it. You know, we, we, we look, we go, oh, milk has, you know, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, has our macronutrients. Well, uh, so do about a bazillion other foods have those three things in them. Um, but it's also um, a, a massive hormone boost in the form of estrogen. So mil- milk and dairy products supply about 80% of the estrogen in our diets. We're not, we're not getting it from too many other places. There's a few other sources, but that's enormous. And in just about an hour after drinking milk, your estrogen levels can increase by about 26%. So for an athlete, well, for a male athlete, I think I just need to say no more. Like, hello, wake wow. up. How's your estrogen cocktail doing? for your performance. Like, you know, no, hello. <laughs> Most men want to say, my estrogen is very low and my testosterone is quite high. But the truth is for women, um, when we're in a competitive environment and we're, you know, racing or competing, um, we do much better uh, when our testosterone levels are higher and our estrogen and progesterone is a bit lower. So let's not add to the estrogen uh, in our bodies by ingesting it via from this you know liquid from a lactating mother wow what you know i mean we're not still drinking our own mom's milk for a reason (laughs) so that's you know that part of it just is almost like it almost makes you laugh when you really break it down like why are we drinking you know mother's milk from another species past our past being three of course. And when everybody comes to a talk on veganism and, and the guy in the back with the argument, you know, the hand goes up and you can tell by the look on his face that he's going to argue. And it's always, well, what about soy? <laughs> you guys eat right. soy. And th- th- it shouldn't even be called phytoestrogens. I mean, it's such a different chemical compound it is. than it is. what we're talking about here. Wow, I'm excited for the, the the the. There's a scene in the Game Changers that really breaks that down very specifically, uh, and 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 quite scientifically, and and talks about the blockers that phytoestrogens actually are to the real strong estrogens that try to attach themselves um, to the mechanisms in our body. So um, I know that that is great. It's, it, yeah, it's a. It seems crazy to us, right? Like, don't have soy, but have the, have the, it's like, have the straight stuff. Like, don't have a beer, but just have whiskey. You know, it's like, (laughs) that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah, that's a very good. So tell us about the game changers. There's been so much words for so long and now it's finally here or for some of us just about here. I so know. Give, give us the I rundown. Know. I know it's it's oh man, it's an exciting film. So it's um, it's directed like I said by um, Louis Fusios, and it's um, uh, co-produced by James Wilkes and uh, Joseph Pace. Um, and it just it it, it actually it tells the story of James Wilkes, who was um an elite special forces trainer, and he also won um I think season nine of The Ultimate Fighter. So he's a badass, is 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 what that is. Uh, and he he travels travels the world on this quest for truth behind, um, which is, as we know, the world's most dangerous myth that meat is necessary for protein and strength and health and everything we just talked about. Um, so on his quest, on his journey, he comes across um, elite athletes, um, even even some other special ops soldiers, um, scientists, um, even cultural icons, Arnold Schwarzenegger's in the movie, which everyone's going to be completely blown away with what he says about meat. Um, and uh, so James discovers um, 
uh, what he discovers, which I'll let you see the movie. Um, <laughs> and it completely ch- changes his relationship, um, with food and, and then his definition of what true, true strength is, what a true hero is, um, is, is, is kind of what you, you pull out of the movie. So, uh, the good news is, um, we, uh, the movie got into Sundance, which was amazing. And, uh, that's where they first met with some of the distributors and they're, they're in a, they're in a great position where some of the distributors are, are kind of fighting back and forth for, for, for the rights to the, the, the movie, which is in a phenomenal place for them to be in. And, um, you know, who knows when they'll actually, you know, uh, strike the deal, but I, I think it'll be maybe in the next month or two. So I'm thinking it'll be released, you know, midsummer, potentially late summer. Um, but the best, the best thing about, the film, in my opinion, uh, and, and why I signed on is, is what their plans are for after the film, because we've all seen some phenomenal, um, you know, vegan films, but then people are kind of left with, oh, okay, uh, wow, that was great. What do I do? Forks Over Knives has done a great job. Right with 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 then here taking people down the journey with their app and their website and their recipes, so Game Changers is going to have um, an app, but we're going to do speaking tours. There's a book. There's cooking classes. There's just a lot of ancillary items that they're creating uh, with the athletes and scientists and other people in the film um, to really take people down the road of of how how they how they do it because you know a lot of people find that to be. Um, you know, scary to, to completely, you know, make an about face on, on what, on their diet. Right. And I think that having these four pillars that you're talking about uh, with the switch for good campaign are wonderful because something is going to speak to everybody. So Dotsie, just tell us a little bit about your life and your food. You're, you're a grown up athlete now, and you're also a motivational speaker with a million other things going on. So what do you eat and how do you exercise? Well, so I am a, I retired from like professional sport after the 2012 Olympic Games. So I've been retired for like, you know, almost six years now. Uh, so I move and exercise, um, just like everyone else, right? The best I can, whenever I can, whenever it fits in. Um, I run a consulting business in sports technology. So, um, I'm, you know, busy as the next person. So it's all about like, what can you fit in? Can I fit in an hour, an hour of Bikram yoga? Can I fit in an hour walk and walk the dogs at the same time and get both of our, you know, all of our exercises in. So, you know, that's kind of, my world as far as exercise goes, it's not like I continued on a path of, you know, uh, elite training that that took up eight hours of my day. Can't really do that anymore. So I fuel now like everybody else fuels, you know, I mean, and really the only difference from before to now would be, you know, the quantity, the quality is the same. Um, I would eat up to five, sometimes 6,000 calories a day as a, as an elite athlete. Um, I was training two and three times a day. So, you know, it was, it was a real, uh, big calorie requirement, um, that I had now, I don't know what it is cause I don't count calories, but, um, you know, it's probably somewhere around 3000. Um, uh, but it just is, you know, living the plant-based lifestyle, it's like made me so much more excited and interested in food than I ever was before. I never used to cook. My husband and I went out to dinner six nights a week. 
We would just, okay, now we're going out to dinner. We never made anything. We didn't cook. We barely went to the grocery store. Um, But now, uh, and he's 100% plant-based and vegan too and has, you know, really managed his, he has hypercholesterolemia. And he has completely managed that with the vegan diet and not had to do statins, um, which all of his doctors wanted him to do. So um, now it is, you know, whole foods from the earth, from trees, from the sea, and all different combinations of those things. My favorite probably all-time thing to do is um, make what I call a trough bowl. And um, it, the trough bowl is in, in, the, in the Game Changers because it's just, it's it's easy. And it's not, um, I don't think it's anything people look at and go, oh, gosh, that's so complicated or this is big, long recipe. Um, I like to be able to make things in 15 or 20 minutes for us for dinner. You know, it's not, I don't, I, I'm not, so I'm not a great cook and I don't want to spend an hour or two um, in the kitchen. So I'll start at the bottom with some kind of, with some kind of great ancient grain, you know, a quinoa, a farro, a millet, a black rice, something like that. And then on top of that is almost always going to be some kind of um, legume or bean, right, to get the fiber in and the protein in. I like pretty much all kinds. Lentils are my favorite. They're pretty much the world's perfect food. They're the only food on the planet that has a zero insulin spike. So, you know, if you want to stay satiated for a long period of time, lentils. Every time before I speak, if I get nervous and I feel like I'm going to trip over my words, my, my, my secret little food is um, a cup of lentils and, and then um, raw almonds. I, I have this I, – now it's just a superstition, superstition that it makes me smart. So um, that's, what, that's what I'll have right before I'm, I'm going to go on to speak. But anyway, the trough bowl, so it's your grains and then your beans. And then I'll do some, some kind of greens, you know, I don't know whether it's kale or spinach or whatever it might be. Um, then I'll do seeds. I'll do hemp seeds and chia seeds and sesame seeds. And then um, probably some kind of nuts. If I'm in the mood, maybe I'll do um, slice up uh, field roast sausages and roast them or put them on the grill if it's summer. Um, and then on top of that is like that, that what I just described would be great with like a mango salsa on top, um, on top of those like spicy field roast sausages. And then you just have this layered nutrient dense powerhouse that is satiating and just super delicious. Well, I want dinner at your house. That sounds wonderful. (laughs) And and it is easy and it is satisfying. And I think sometimes we just want to say to people who aren't yet doing this, it's not only easy, it's fun. And I think you have to maybe jump in to to really know that. So in our final minute, Dotsie, what's the winning strategy? What do we need to do to get this world to switch for good? Oh, well, I think it takes people who um, have a real desire um, for the truth to service, which we want the truth to service in everything we do. Um, you know, darkness, darkness is, is never going to win over light. Um, and people that are doing things in the dark, the light is eventually going to shine. Um, and so it takes people that, that believe that, you know, you've seen it in different aspects of your life before and you have to keep believing that the truth is what matters and the truth will come out. And, and it's, it's a, it's a hard fight. It's a hard fight. I've already had, um, the USOC come after me. Um, and, and, you know, Derry's not too far behind. We know that, but you, you, you really have to just, you know, you have to take off the gloves when when you're up against um, something that is so so powerful and just has so much uh, money behind it. Um, so seek truth and then seek compassion because, like I said before, it, we need that now more than ever. Um, we can be strong, 
um, virile, fierce athletes, business people, speakers, artists, and have compassion be a part of who we are. It's not one or the other, you know, um, and, and, and that's really important because we need, you know, we need strong voices to stand up and say compassion matters, the truth matters. And this, this can heal a, a lot of, a lot of aspects of our life and a lot of parts of our world. No, oh, it can indeed. And Dotsy Bausch, thank you so much for being such an incredible spokesperson. The website is switchnumeral4good.org. I'll put the rest of um, Dotsy's URLs on the, um, the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Thanks so much also to Alicia at the hashtag not just for Easter campaign. Thanks to Unity Media Network, our engineer Jeff Comfort, and to you listeners for all you do. God bless. Eat your veggies. Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention, in every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Kincannon wrote, Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression. Today we're faced with countless decisions, some seemingly insignificant, others life-changing. In each situation, we want to consider all the options. But in an effort to choose wisely, I may become anxious and confused, thinking that my peace of mind depends upon making the right decision. Perhaps this is backwards thinking. Actually, beginning with peace of mind helps me make good decisions. Peace is not the result of a particular circumstance, but the very cause that keeps me calm no matter what I'm facing. Inner peace clears my mind of doubt and allows me to see what would serve me best. When I have to make a choice, I remember, for every question there is an answer, and that answer begins with the peace I already have. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. 
Join us for a journey into spirit. Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind, Body, Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.